Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Uh, we are starting this series called Wild and Fire, and uh, I get the awesome responsibility of sort of framing it up for us today. Um, the reason we're starting this journey is uh, because Easter is coming up. That's right. We're like a third of the way through the year now, pretty much. We're coming up on it, right? 2019, it's happening. Even if it's just happening to us, it's, it's happening. You know, um, so we are doing this thing called Wild and Fire, and I just want to let you know because it, it's actually quite big. It's spanning a good little chunk of time, uh, and we're going to be doing a few different things through it. And so I just want to walk you through that uh, very quickly. Um, the series is essentially broken up into these three components: wild and fire. That's where we get the name from, right? I like to think of myself as something of a creative genius. You know. So this is what we're doing. Uh, it's broken down in, in these ways. Uh, we're going to start with this whole thing of, of wild. Uh, it's going to be over the next three weeks. So that's today and then the next two Sundays. We're going to be exploring uh, this whole concept of formation in the wilderness. And we're going to be tapping into a few different wilderness stories. Uh, and starting today, we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, so brace yourselves for that. Um, <clears throat> the next part is this uh, five-part series uh, called Fire. Uh, we're going to be starting that on Sunday, March 31st. So if you're good at maths, you'll notice that that's directly after the last of the wild parts. Um, and we're going to be exploring, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> We're going to be exploring the gospel story and really looking at how this story sort of takes shape in first century Israel and how it begins to spread, kind of like a fire, okay? Um, so that's what we're going to be doing there. And that's going to take us all the, way, uh, all the way to Easter. Now, it's important to note, as part of that component, okay, I know it's a lot of information for a Sunday morning, but stick with me, okay? Um, this is going to include a special Good Friday service at 5 p.m. Good Friday is a Friday... So it means not the Sunday service, right? It's a Friday service. Uh, and then two days later, you'll return for the Easter Sunday service, the Resurrection Sunday service, okay? So if you were here last year, we did this for the first time last year. And in my opinion, because I did like plan it all, I thought it was awesome, you know? So I think it's going to be great. I think this year as well, it's going to be awesome again. So, so honestly, try and incorporate something like that into into your movement towards Easter this year because it is a really special thing. So we're going to be doing that special Good Friday service. That's part of the fire component. Uh, and finally, and is this special weekly contemplative podcast aimed at taking us deeper into the story. Now, for those of you who are kind of tech savvy, you may have noticed already if you subscribe to our podcast that there already would have been one of these dropped into your little inbox uh, on Wednesday because Wednesday was, was Ash Wednesday, marking the beginning of Lent. Did anyone find that? Did that, did that drop in anyone's lap? Who listened to it? Um. Almost 50% of their hands, good. <clears throat> 
can I invite you to come and uh, come and do and with us as well? Uh, Fran and I have been working on developing this something of a contemplative liturgical component, something that just creates this moment of pause. So these podcasts are going to be up uh, on our, our website and through anywhere you get podcasts from. Um, that's going to be coming through every Wednesday, uh, in addition to our normal sermons from the series, which will be up uh, normally on Tuesday afternoons. And they're short, yeah. Honestly, the first one's like, they're like seven to 12 minutes. And it's really, a, it's, it's a really special little thing. That's all I can say about it. Do incorporate it into your Lent journey. Uh, I, think it's, I, I think it's really special and it's, it's a fun thing to be a part of. So please come on this journey of wild and fire with us. Now, um, <clears throat> here we are, wild part one. We're stepping into this uh, whole idea of being in the wilderness with Jesus. Um, this, this story of, of Jesus being in the wilderness is essentially where we get this whole idea of Lent from. Um, it probably feels important at this point because we're at the beginning of the series and because we're just starting uh, this Lent thing, it probably helps to frame up a little bit uh, what Lent is um, in case you don't know or you just need reminding. Um, Lent is a Christian practice that essentially serves as a framework for the preparation of one's heart and soul for the Easter story. Story. Um, it's a period of 40, uh, usually a period of 40 days of fasting, and this fasting always looks different. So for some people, traditionally it would be um, uh, only like one meal a day, but for some people in today's modern age, we fast Facebook, we fast chocolate. I don't, sometimes it feels like it just becomes a little bit of like an excuse to diet a little bit, right? Who knows that? It's like, I can do Lent, I can get close to God, and I can also shed a few pounds, right? KGs, where am I? America? My goodness. Um, so, you know, but this, this period of fasting always looks different, but it spans 40 days. The Sundays aren't included. So for some, some people, that's sort of seen as a bit of a cheat day. Okay, um, 40 days of fasting, and it's, uh, it's supplemented often. Often this thing you give up is supplemented by some sort of intentional prayer rhythm uh, or, or disciplines or practices. So it's, it's really to try and orient us more and more towards the story so that the story might grip us and come alive in us as we come towards uh, Resurrection Sunday. Um, uh, interestingly enough, when we look, uh, look at the Scriptures, Jesus said to his, said to his disciples in Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 15, uh, that his disciples should fast when the bridegroom is taken from them. And so presumably right from the very beginning, uh, there was the sense of mourning and fasting that was attached to the death of Jesus. We, we can assume that his, apostles listened, uh, his disciples listened to him. Um, and so that they would have they would have been fasting directly in the wake of, of his his death on the cross, um, and we 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 can kind of presume that since very early on this has been incorporated uh, into the Christian tradition. So Christians have traditionally fasted during the annual commemoration of Jesus' death and burial. This is why fasting becomes an important uh, thing uh, around this season of Lent. Uh, as I mentioned before, the practice of Lent draws its inspiration from Jesus' 40 days of fasting and temptation in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. And so there's a few things that are uh, quite significant for us to just take note of before we even start getting into the text. Um, uh, I just want to point uh, specifically to uh, the number 40 and the concept of the wilderness. All right. The number 40 
okay, indicates a period of preparation. Anytime you see something popping up sort of time and again and time and again and time and again in the scriptures, it probably means that you should take note of it. Okay, so the whole 40 thing happens a lot. And what we see is whenever 40 pops up, it's always some period of preparation, some time of preparation. Uh, here's just a few I can point to. Uh, Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai with God, Exodus 24, 18. Elijah spent 40 days and nights walking uh, to Mount Horeb, 1 Kings 19, 8. God sent 40 days and nights of rain in the great flood of Noah. The Hebrew people wandered 40 years in the desert while traveling to the promised land. Jonah's prophecy of judgment gave 40 days to the city of Nineveh uh, in which to repent. repent. Uh, so yeah, even, in, even with the story of Jesus being laid down in the tomb, the traditional belief is that actually from, from sort of Friday evening through to Sunday morning, uh, those three days actually spans 40 hours. So 40 hours in the tomb. So 40, there is this whole thing, and it signifies some period of, of preparation, of something being cultivated, something sort of stirring in the depths, something, something happening. 40 is a period of preparation. Okay, let's take note of that. Let's be aware of that, because we're probably going to see that number pop up a little bit over the next three weeks. Uh, then we have this concept of the wilderness, and the wilderness also pops up through different places in Scripture, which we're going to be diving into. We're going to be looking uh, uh, next week at Israel in the wilderness during the Exodus. Um, and we keep seeing this place up. And so what is wilderness? It's a place of preparation. And what's interesting is I, I think probably all of us have the, these sorts of pictures in our minds of, of, of what the wilderness is. Uh, sometimes we think of it almost as like a bit of a desert. Um, we, it certainly feels incredibly like, I don't know, when I think of it quite rugged, um, it's, uh, it, I feel like it's inconsistent and it's uncomfortable. I kind of think about trying to sleep under the stars and it's not like there's the luxury of your, of your Kathmandu tent or, you know, it's like, it, it just feels like pretty scary. Um, I remember Fran spoke about this uh, a few months back and uh, she had this this piece of art and Jesus is holding a scorpion and I've just got this thing about scorpions you know oh, I don't want to be friends with them you know I know Jesus is friends with all creation but I don't want to be friends with scorpion but there's something like inherently uncomfortable about the thought of the wilderness. It is void of our, of our sort of comforts, um, our, of our luxuries. Um, we're, all, we're, we're very exposed in the wilderness, regardless of what it's like. We, we feel that. And I think what we see coming through time again in the Scriptures in relation to the wilderness um, <clears throat> Is that there's a, an implied and assumed uh, there's it's implied and assumed that we struggle somehow in the wilderness that there's some kind of like oh, there's some kind of wrestling or discontent or discomfort that we have to go through, but also the assumption is that somehow through this we are somehow through this stretching we we grow. We come to a new understanding of who we are and how we function and, and how we fit into the plan of God. So the wilderness, like we, we kind of know, especially if you've been around church a long time and you've been around some of these stories, but, but you know that there's sort of this other side to it. And the hope is, is that you sort of come out the other side of it in, in something of a better state than what you arrived into it. But we're very aware that it's uncomfortable. And certainly when we talk about the wilderness, nearly for all of us, like we will feel like we have seasons of wilderness in our lives. 
We will feel like we journey through things that feel barren or uncomfortable or sort of stretch us, or we'll feel like God's sort of distant and not there, or we'll feel like we're hungry. We know wilderness experiences. We, we resonate with that. And so we come to this question, really, as, as we kind of dive into this part of this, uh, this series. You know, we all have these wilderness experiences. How, then, can we allow these things to be deeply formative? How can we let these stories shape us? How can we grow through these seasons of our life? And this is what we're looking to sort of embark on over the next three weeks. And we're going to start, because this is the beginning of Lent, we're right, we're right on the front end of it. Um, we're going to start with the, the sort of story that inspires Lent the most, and that is Jesus in the wilderness. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're in Luke chapter 4. Um, I don't actually have them on the screen, so if, if you, but you can, you can just listen, uh, or you can track along with me. Always a great thing to bring your Bible to church. I feel like that sends a really positive message to everyone around you, you know? It's like, you really know who's taking this thing seriously, right? And paper as well? My goodness. Paper Bibles. Who would have thought? Um, <clears throat> I'm on an iPad, so there you go. <clears throat> Tells you something about me, doesn't it? Um, <clears throat> Luke 4, verses 1 to 13. Uh, actually, why don't I just pray real quick before we get into this? I know we're covering a lot of ground today, but let's just take a moment um, to pray that this story might meet us. So, Father, I just want your presence to just come and be with us. Would you come and rest on each and every one of our hearts? And Lord, just with the global church, we're entering into this this really... Uh, fascinating, introspective, somewhat painful, somewhat liberating, uh, somewhat deeply hopeful season. And so, Lord, would you be close? Would you draw near? And even, Lord, as we kind of confront our own wilderness or the things that are going on for us, Lord, we pray that we would know your closeness. So come and be with us. Would you speak to us through the texts? Would you shape something in us through your scripture? Amen. So this chapter kicks off straight after uh, Jesus' baptism. So Jesus, starting verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, there you go, uh, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Really? My goodness, 40 minutes sometimes and I'm hungry. Um, <clears throat> 40 days, man. Um, <clears throat> the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil then led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
So when the Satan had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Man, uh, incredibly fascinating uh, piece of scripture. Um, First off, I think it's... uh, this is really uh, the Satan, you know, the accuser coming in to, to meet Jesus really at his, at his lowest point. Jesus is taken into this wilderness and for 40 days, it's not like the temptations occur on the front end, right? It's 40 days. Uh, you know, they've done studies on the human body and they reckon like 40 days is like the absolute max your body can go without food. So we're talking about a moment from a human perspective, Jesus is weak, And weakness is vulnerability, and vulnerability gives opportunity for a predator to attack. And so this is this opportune moment that the Satan looks to step in and looks to tempt Jesus. And I just want to um, just want to work through a little bit some of the interesting correlations uh, uh, to the Old Testament, uh, and just before we get into sort of the more personal things for us. Um, <clears throat> but interestingly. Uh, the Greek word used here for temptation is uh, parizo, which does not indicate that Jesus had the sort of disordered desire that we refer to in English as temptation. Okay, so we're not saying, you know, sometimes people say like, Jesus was tempted. He knows just what it's like. It's like actually the word that's used here is just a little bit different. Okay, and so what it means is that the temptation on, the, on Satan's behalf is to try. I'm going to try and tempt you. There's this, I'm going to make this attempt to do it. It's not so much that Jesus experienced the full temptation of these things. So it's just this sort of, this. I think it's just important to point to because it's a slightly different use of the word. Um, <clears throat> so here the devil is really looking to, to try and get Jesus to sin. There's this active attempt, but, but we see the failure um, come through. Um, <clears throat> Uh, one of the things that's interesting as well, that as, as we consider some of the, the, the things that were kind of going on around the time, uh, many people wanted a Messiah who would sort of seize political power and usher in an age of prosperity and plenty. And so what's interesting about this is this is a moment of Jesus, once again, before his ministry even starts, he's modeling this subversive kingdom. Right? So instead of sort of stepping into the political sphere, taking back this throne and ushering in an age of prosperity, Jesus voluntarily chooses to enter hunger, to enter weakness, to enter low. Um, so he also refuses this political power. And so this, this, this already, before we even kind of get into the nuts and bolts of his ministry and the things that are about to take shape, Jesus is already modeling something very different to people's expectations. It's not something we think about when we come to a scripture like this, but it is important to note. Already Jesus is embodying the subversive agenda of the kingdom of God. Important to take note of. Um, I think as well, it's important to know that Jesus, uh, that we see coming through in this story, Jesus is the new Adam who remains faithful just where the first Adam had given into temptation, right? So this invitation for food to eat of this thing that was extended, we see Jesus turn that thing down. Jesus then also goes on to fulfill Israel's vocation perfectly. So in contrast to, to Israel, and I think Stanley's going to be exploring this a little bit more next week, but But uh, all those sorts of times that Israel sort of tripped up and stumbled, Jesus embodies and responds to the temptation in the way that God uh, invites uh, his people to. So Jesus fully, uh, Jesus fulfills Israel's vocation in that sense. Uh, what's really interesting as well um, is, is Jesus, 
Jesus quotes these three passages from Deuteronomy uh, in response to the Satan's accusations. Um, so the first, the first temptation, uh, he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. And this, this really, these all tie in, like I was just saying before, they actually tie into these, these moments where Israel uh, is sort of acting in opposition to God. Um, so in Deuteronomy, uh, this echoes Israel's complaint against Moses for depriving them of the bread they had in Egypt by leading them into the wilderness. And so Jesus rebuffs the Satan by repeating Moses' rebuke um, to the Israelites' complaint. Okay, so it's like, once again, it's like Jesus says, no, this is, this is actually the right thing. I, we need to trust the Lord for his provision. I will trust the Lord for his provision. Bread's not the only thing that I need to live on. It's not the only way I eat, receive my sustenance. So he points towards this, this, uh, this moment in Israel's history. In the second temptation, he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. Uh, and this echoes the temptation to false worship that the Israelites had in the desert, both at the incident of the golden calf and also more generally, right? Israelites, they would kind of just, you know, I think uh, Stanley will explore this a little bit more again, but, but uh, they would just kind of go off track a little bit. And so Moses would be off doing something and they'd be like, well, we better build a golden calf. You know, and we better start worshiping that thing. I mean, there's a lot more to that kind of story, but, but, <laughs> but what's happening here is, is Jesus rebuffs the devil's invitation to worship him by quoting Deuteronomy, reflecting the fundamental requirement that was put on the Israelites to worship the one true God. So Jesus is just once again establishing and embodying the right thing that Israel was supposed to do. And then in the third temptation, he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. So in the third trial, what's really interesting here is that almost like in opposition to Jesus extending scriptures as a response, uh, we now see the Satan actually use the scriptures um, almost, almost against him. And so we see this perversion of Psalm 91 verses 11 to 12, which says that those who trust in God will receive his protection. Um, but what that Psalm doesn't say is that uh, people who take reckless risks or insist on miracles, who, who sort of say things like, well, if God's real, he'll do this. You know, uh, it doesn't say that God steps in or that people should do that. Um, you know, so th those, that is an attitude of distrust. And so you have the accuser distorting and twisting the scriptures in an attempt to manipulate Jesus. But Jesus stays the course and rebuffs once again with scripture um, <clears throat> uh, and uses the scripture where Moses rebukes the Israelites for having put God to the test. You know, So Jesus is very intentional, pointing to these specific moments and speaking to the scriptures and, and sort of embodying and carrying the truth of them in response to the accusations that are thrown this, his way. And so what all of this does, these sorts of responses, the embodying of the scriptures, the, the, the sort of standing steadfast in the midst of the temptations, uh, all of this does is reveals Christ as God's servant. We see, we see Christ totally obedient to the divine will, modeling an unshakable trust in his relationship to the Father and his dedication to the foundational truth of the scriptures. This is what we see modeled in this moment. And it's a significant moment in the sort of overarching story because it's the first time we see someone human stay the course. In the midst of hunger, in the midst of sort of being stretched, in a moment of sort of weakness and vulnerability, we see an immense trust 
trust placed in God. Which brings the story now to us. What does it look like for us to resonate with Christ's experience? Um, Luke, I think, uh, recounts as, as he sort of takes us through the story. Luke recounts the three temptations of Jesus uh, in a way that reflects the inner struggle for Jesus over his own particular mission. Um, and at the same time, addresses the questions as to what truly matters in human's life. Um, and so what we see here is actually this, this sort of overarching temptation begin to come through. You know, what does it mean to be a good son? So particularly like within the context of the day, you know, the, the, the object, uh, sort of the, the growing up, the invitation of a child was to be obedient to their father, be obedient to their parents. We see that coming through in the commandments. And so there's this overarching thing like uh, temptation to exceed the authority of a good son, to do something different, to step outside uh, the realm of the thing to which you've been inv- invited and ultimately, these three temptations, in, in terms of talking to us, I think they begin to stir a couple of questions or a few questions. And so for me, these questions are this. Do I trust God's provision? Do I trust God's sovereignty? And do I trust God's protection? And I don't sort of throw those out there as just like, oh, you know, like this is just, you know, a Sunday thing and it's our three-point sermon and do you, you know, Trust in, trust in provision and trust in protection. It's, 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 it's got to be deeper than that. Because I think that's what this story begins to stir in us. Because what we see is an unshakable trust in Christ's relationship with the Father and a reliance on the foundational truth of the Scriptures. So do I trust is like a pretty confronting question. It's pretty uncomfortable. It's pretty challenging. And in the wilderness, that question just becomes so much harder to deal with. And for me, like, like even just writing these questions down, it's like, ah, oh, the number of times, like, honestly, the answer to those questions is like, no, I don't. You know, like, I lose, I lose sight of that. You know, Jesus tells the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son who essentially goes to his dad and says, hey, I wish you were dead. I'd love my inheritance. I want my money and I'm just going to go. I think, you know, essentially that's to say, I don't need you in my life anymore. I don't want you in my life anymore. I think I know better and I know the way. And I think to myself, my goodness, I do that in my life all the time. And I find myself getting anxious and I just like sort of go off and do my own thing. I find myself getting worried or concerned or ambitious or something, and I begin to shut God out. I make God a sort of secondary priority. And so, I mean, these are things I've wrestled with like in recent years. It's been hard. It's, it, there have been legitimate seasons where I've like looked in the mirror and been like, did I, did I hear God wrong? Because I feel like I'm rubbish at what, what I'm doing. 
I feel like I'm useless in, across every element of it. I feel, uh, I feel like I'm being driven into like these, these areas. I feel like I'm completely pigeonholed. I feel like I'm suffocated and I can't breathe. And I look in the mirror and be like, you know what, Calvin, I think you know better. And it's like, God, you know, backseat, mate. I got this. And then I'm kind of like calling up the AA and on the roadside and smoke coming out the engine. And, yeah, or, you know, that's a metaphor. I'm actually a pretty good, I'm actually a pretty good driver. Um, <clears throat> no crash. It's not easy to answer these questions because I think more often than not, our answer is no, because we so struggle to trust. We're so anxious about the things that are going on in our lives that we struggle to trust. And that we can kind of say these things, and it's really easy to kind of do that on a Sunday morning. But you know, like on a Tuesday afternoon at three o'clock, when you're just on the grind and you've got someone hounding you for this assignment to get handed in or this report to get done or whatever, and you just feel so far from it and you're so disillusioned and uncomfortable with your life and on and on and on. And like those, those elements of trust just become so hard. Here's the thing. You have to choose to enter into that trust all over again. So for me, I must enter into and choose once more to place my trust in this story. You know, one of the things about Lent is that it effectively reconnects us with the dedication we made at our baptism. So those things that made us stand up and go, yes, I want this story to be my story and I want everyone to sort of know that this story is my story and that my life is being shaped by this. You know, but the idea is, is that by the time you get to Easter, you're totally reconnected with those things that you said years and years and years ago sometimes at your baptism. It's like being born again. So entering into this again, choosing this element of trust is an important thing. We must enter into it and choose it. This is what Jesus models to us in the wilderness. In the wake of his baptism, he enters this wilderness, experiences hunger, separation, probably a bit of anxiety, probably not like just stroking a scorpion, but probably like, probably that was some sort of existential moment for him, you know, deeply profound, very carefully handling it, I'm sure. I'm sure he wasn't like petting it. But Jesus models to us in the wilderness this, this whole idea of stepping into trust. He models how to rely and to place trust in the Lord for all of these things. He models the way for us to navigate our own wilderness experiences. This is what Jesus does. And what I think is beautiful is that sometime down the line in his ministry, he's asked how, you know, how to pray, and he lays out this Lord's Prayer. He lays out this Lord's Prayer. And do you know what's like covered off in that prayer? God's protection. 
God's provision, God's sovereignty. You know, the invitation for God to lead, to be king. The trust that God will provide sustenance and the trust that God will protect. And it's like every single time we're invited to pray this prayer, we're invited to, to sort of step back into that reality again. And I don't want to like, I don't want to like put anything on the scriptures, but you know, like I do wonder, having been sort of soaking in this story for a few weeks now, I have to wonder if something like the Lord's Prayer first began to take shape in the wilderness. I just have to wonder. Because that feels like the kind of prayer you would say when you're feeling disconnected or uncomfortable um, or uncertain or not really knowing where your next meal's coming from. <laughs> feeling tempted, feeling, feeling tugged, pulled, whatever. I have to wonder if a prayer like that is formed in a space like the wilderness. And I have to believe that a prayer like this speaks meaning and purpose into a place like the wilderness. That's just my two cents. This is what Christ gives us in the form of this prayer. I think it's a prayer of submission and of deep trusting. I think this is a tool. This is a tool for how we get back into answering those questions of trust with a yes. It's like, oh man, I want to say yes to those things, but I'm just really struggling this week. How, how do I even get back to that? How do I get to that place of trust? Well, to be honest, I think that this is probably a really good start. And the rest of it is just practice and repetition and falling over and scraping your knees and getting back up and trying it again and, you know, wash, rinse, repeat or something, you know? But I, but I have to believe that something like this gives us the tools and the framework for how we move towards, yes, I trust in your provision and your protection and your sovereignty, Lord. Yes. So I wonder if we could sort of finish this morning by praying the Lord's Prayer together. Does that feel like a good thing to do? Yeah. So why don't we stand? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.